what I did know is that one extra wanted the feel of a pirate station. So the DJs that were on that station was rough around the edges. And you got to remember the DJs that were on Radio 1 at that time who were playing hip-hop and R&B, they didn't like it. They really didn't like it that all of a sudden there was an influx of 10 to 20 DJs like doing black music. They they really didn't. They didn't embrace us. They didn't um, want to see the station win. It, it, there's definitely that. Like, and, and, and it's a fact, you know. First time I say, what, what we're going to do? do. Then, then you, you say, say, I don't know. What do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do? You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity Podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Welcome to the program. This week on the podcast, a conversation with DJ Semtext, world-renowned DJ, radio legend, producer, podcaster, and author. We'll be discussing his come-up and journey from pirate radio to one extra and beyond. Make sure you check out Semtext every Friday on Capital Extra from 9 till 11. Enjoy the conversation. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle paid the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. When did radio come into your life? Not from a career entry point, but as a listener being exposed to rap for the first time in Manchester. What's your earliest memory of hearing hip-hop on the radio? I mean, the, the earliest memory of listening to hip-hop on the radio in Manchester was on a station called Key 103. There was a DJ on there called Stu Allen, and he used to do like a Sunday night show where the first hour was rap, second hour was R&B, and the third hour was like dance music. And this is before he became a full-on dance or EDM DJ. Right. And, you know, that, that show was, was, was incredible. It was like a lifeline to everything that was going on in the world of hip-hop. You mentioned Stu Allen. How important was Stu Allen in turning you on to the potentiality of being a DJ, specifically in a radio space? And what was it about pirate radio that worked for you and pulled you in back then? I mean, I mean the thing is with Stu Allen, I learned a lot from him in the sense that it was, he had a very good way of introducing new music. He had a familiarity with the music and he was very authoritative, um, but he was very inclusive at the same time. And it's, it's weird. When I first met him, I, I bumped into him in a record store called Spinning and I walked up to him and I, I probably approached it wrong. Like I was like a nerd at the time at the high top and everything. And then I was goofy and all of that. And it was probably like, I don't know. I think he expected, I think I expected him to like be more welcoming than, than what he was because of like, really? because of how he, yeah, because he was so warm on the radio. But then when I met him, he was, he was stood by the record counter, like, just like 
you know, being cool or whatever. And I think, you know, he didn't, he didn't brush me off, but it was just like, and, and, and it's kind of like, I'm, I always try to be nice to everybody I meet, even if I don't know them, like even cause yeah. you know, it, it takes a lot to go up to someone um, who you don't know. So like, and, and I'm not saying this in any way to say anything bad about him, but it's just to show you the juxtaposition between the warmth and the friendly face on radio and when I actually met him in person, it was different. And that didn't put me off him. It didn't, you know, like to this day, he's, he's like one of my radio heroes and I rate him. And I learned a lot from him and the music that he played. Um, I used to record his shows and cassettes and listen to him on the, on the way to school and stuff. So um, he was an incredible lifeline. And I think, I think that definitely stayed with me like in terms to what I do now in radio, like years later, decades later, th those disciplines definitely stayed with me. Um, and when I first started doing pirate radio, I was on a reggae station called ITIL FM and it only ever used to be on weekends and it was only broadcasting Hume in Manchester, which is an area of about like a three mile radius. And there's these two dreads who ran it, Marcus and Leighton. And I had no business being on that station. And and I, I, I just think they buzzed off my energy. Like they, they they rated me for like doing the show and everything. And they gave me the platform. They gave me like a, a you know, an early Sunday night slot. And um, I did my thing on there. Like, you know, I learned a lot from working with those guys. And I moved on to Love Energy in Manchester, another pirate station. And that's where I really tapped in. That's when I started structuring a show. I had a chart had a mix and I have I'd have two MCs from Manchester with me who would rap over the beats in the show so it's like it's really really cool it was like it was like the total hip-hop experience um and it was very mank you know so it was it was great completely raw energy yeah definitely that it's is and, and and to put it in perspective the station was in a shop on a disused shop on Princess Road in Moss Side um which was considered the front line at the time and maybe it still is but it was like you had to pull the shutters up to get in if there was ever a fire or anything in there like you're done you're just you're just getting burnt like you're getting burnt alive so we literally <laughs> risked it all just to like play music every thursday night seven till nine and that's what you did of course back then now you end up hosting numerous like you say weekly pirate radio shows off the back of this reputation this reputation of you having energy back then for dj and house parties in manchester yeah how long did it yeah. take you to get from dj and house parties to dj and on pirate radio um it, it kind of happened all at the same time i wanted to do everything so i wanted right. i wanted to i wanted to be a great dj so i needed experience and I, I needed to know how to do house parties. I started, I actually started out at the youth club and then I started doing college parties and I started doing house parties Then I started doing the shubs in Cheetah Mill on the estate. And it was from there and, and, and the radio, it was all synonymous. It wasn't like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I was doing everything at the same time. So it was the perfect storm, so to speak. It, it was definitely like I was, you know what it was? I was hungry. I wanted to grow, I wanted to develop, I wanted to learn, and everything was there for me to do it. Like, you know, the the, the people in Manchester that I've, I've already named, like Marcus and Leighton, like the guys who was running Love Energy at the time, and the people, there's a guy called Smithy who used to book me to do the shows in Cheetah Mill on a Saturday night, where I'd take my decks down and 
from 10 a.m. till 6 a.m. And then I start my weekend job at 7 a.m. It's like, it is all like, it's all the necessary experience. It's all the necessary grind that I needed to, to get me to where I'm at today, you know. Well, let's talk about where you're at today and coming up in Manchester, honing your skills in Manchester. What was that time like as a growing period for you? It was kind of, it was kind of all at the same time. It was all, it was, you know, and this is while I was at college and at uni as well. So I was getting my education in. And it was, it was just, it was just, I was just hungry. Like I, I, I was, it was my calling to DJ. I was going to do it. I answered the call. Like it, it was going to happen. So that coming up though, it's a very solitary experience because your friends that come up with you don't share the same vision. They don't share the same ideas that you have. So when you're like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. You have select people that tap in and follow you on your journey and stuff. Or they may follow you to the party or they may pass through the show with you. But to to to, to make it, it's, you're by yourself. Like yeah. most of the time, you know, my then girlfriend, who's now my wife, she was, she was with me all the way. She was with me for a lot of the events where I was DJing and everything. And when we moved down to London, eventually she, she was with me the whole way as well. But other than that, it was like, it was literally, um, yeah, it's just, it's just, you've got to be very strong willed because if you're one of them people that doesn't do nothing without a bunch of friends or a man rolling with you, it was, it was never going to happen, you know? Do you remember a moment where you felt like, you know, this is starting to work? Um, anytime I rock a party, it's, 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 like anytime, anytime for me to go on the stage or go on the decks is a win. Anytime, regardless of how big the event, regardless how big the stage, but it, it's 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 a very great blessing to be able to do what you love doing. So for me, it was like anytime I did the party, anytime I did the blues on the rock it, it was like a step further. It was like I'm doing it right. I'm doing it. I'm living the dream. I'm I'm I'm, I'm making people move. I'm building a reputation. And and that was it. It was like every moment like that. What what was happening, what I didn't see was the incremental moments were getting bigger as time went on. But I never paid attention to that because if you pay attention to that, it gives you a false sense of security or a false sense of, mm. you know, yeah, you're killing it. Well, you're not because until you get to where you need to get to, you're not. So I was always... Um, I always, I was always, I, I never took anything for granted. And I was never like, yeah, I've arrived or I've made it. I was, ne I've never, I don't even look at it like that now. So, you know, pe people come up to me, oh, you're a legend and a pioneer. I, I feel uncomfortable with people saying that because I don't feel like I've done enough to this day. So even back then, it was like, all right, I've rocked that party next. All right, I've done that radio show next. All right, I've done mixtapes. What else? I make records and produce two tracks and they, they helped me with my move to London. And when I sold the beats, the first two beats I ever made, I sold them for like 250 pounds um, each. And, and it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's nonstop. Like you yeah. cannot, you cannot pause or, or pat yourself on the back. You really can't. Was there a sense back then of you knowing where you wanted to go and take your career? Did you ever have a plan? No, all I knew was, all I knew was, I love hip hop, DJ, but I've got to get my education. 
And, and the reason why my focus was on the education was because it was uncharted territory. Like, you know, I, I didn't know anyone who was making a decent living out of being a DJ in Manchester. I, I knew there was people DJing and I knew there was Stu Allen, but even Stu Allen switched to EDM music and I had no intention of doing that. So it's like, all right, so, you know, if I got to work to fund the momentum, I'll do that. Like, I, I wasn't scared to do that. So that's why, you know, I got my GCSEs, my A-levels and my degree because I was I was armed for whatever, like, through, through the skills of being a DJ, the record collection and the education. Start it. Start it from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team. Now you mentioned the mixtapes. You're doing a lot of mixtapes around this time. When you reflect on the impact of those mixtapes you've done, what do you think was the secret sauce that made those tapes so unique? The curation is is I, I I was able to select tracks that were big that I knew people would like, but also I'd throw in some independent releases and stuff that I knew that was hot. That if, for instance, if you'd like anything by the Wu Tang, you'd like Pop Hornet, or if you like DJ Premier type beats, you would like this and so forth and so forth. So and it was that, and it was it was like the mixtapes were kind of like my business card, like I. I, I was making. I turned it into a profitable, profitable business, but I wasn't doing it for the money. It was more to get my name out there. It was more to get, um, and I didn't realize at the time was to, to build an audience or a community. Whereas now that these are like recognized marketing terms and events, but I was just, I just, I just knew I had to do it. I wasn't doing it out of the the want to do that. I was just like, yeah, I need to do mixtapes and they need to bank. I need it was a necessity. I, I, yeah, you you've got to this day, you know when 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 I've got interns that are mentoring, the two most important things in life is, is is your relationships with people and your reputation. So everything has to bang, everything has to be great, and that that was everything from doing a DJ set to a radio show to a mixtape to a cover. Everything had to be great, and and that's 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 how I carried myself, and I still do to this day. I'm going to do the, the, the short version of a long story. Um, so I was DJing in Manchester. I was doing every event. I was doing, I was putting in the work. Like my name was hot. Like it was, if you were into hip hop, you knew who it was or what I was doing and so forth and everything else. And then I got, because I was promoting events, I was doing a lot of stuff with record labels where I give, give out promotional material and everything. And da, 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 da. On the back of that, I got invited to move down to London and set up the first street team for Sony. I, I, I was, the day that I got asked to do it, like I'd literally just finished university and I was in SPA travel and I was gonna go traveling for six months for whatever cliche reason. And then I got the phone call, will you move down? Yep, I was like, yeah, immediately. And I moved to London and yeah, I was, I was doing a street team where I was putting kids on 
like in return for giving out flyers, promoting albums and stuff that was out that week, I'd get them tickets for shows. In some instances, I'd get, I was getting them paid. And in some instances, I was helping them out where they needed the help, you know, just and hooking them up and using my then growing network to help them. So one of the kids that I had on my team at the time was a guy called DJ Scalibur. And and he he was he was like he was coming through. He was like me. He, I could see it in him. He was hungry. He was a bit of a nerd. He was a he was a nerd. Like anyone who's anyone who's into hip hop and DJs, you're a nerd. And, and I say that in a positive way, not in a negative way. And he knew everything about UK hip hop. He was like the biggest UK hip hop fan. And he was doing stuff on pirate radio. And then when 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 one extra was getting put together. Um, one of the guys reached out to me, a guy called Wilbur Wilberforce, and he was like, can you put me in touch with Excalibur? Um, we want to see about him about getting a show on one, extra, on one Extra. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, sure. Here's the details, da, 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 da. And um, I was like, you know, if you need anyone to do mixes, like, as well, you know, here, da, 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 And they were like, yeah, yeah, maybe we'll get you to do something, like, monthly or something. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um... And then what happened was they got they got Excalibur, he was locked in to be on the station and everything. Um, but he, I think he needed a bit of work, so they had to train him up and develop him. Um, and then what happened, there was an event that took place in Finsbury Park. And I think it was called, it wasn't Party in the Park. It, it, was, it was a Destiny, it might have been Destiny's Child, Destiny's Child in the Park or whatever, whatever. And there was a Walker's tent. Walker's Records had a tent in there. And I was DJing on it. And I killed it. Now, going back to what I was saying, where every party you have to kill, it's about your reputation. Every party you shut down. Um, I was DJing alongside Shorty Blitz. And I think it was DJ Kofi. And um, there was Most Def was performing and Farrell Munch. And I was on the bill. All I know is when I did it, I, I killed it. What I didn't know was the guys from One Extra was in the crowd. And then they were like, oh, yeah. like there's a guy called Ray Paul. And he said to Wilbur, we need to get him. We need to get him. So after that event, Ray called me into One Extra. And um, yeah, it's, it's from there. It was like, he, he, he trained me up. And then and the very first training session, I was like, yeah, I'm, I just DJ. I don't speak on the radio, by the way. Like, you know, because I was doing it in Manchester with two MCs. They do all the talking and the rapping. You right. know, I was being the, the my Terminator X, the silent DJ, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just speak with my hand. I was, I was on that wave. Yeah. And he was like, nah, I just speak. Yeah, but I don't really speak. He's like, nah, I just speak. Oh, okay. That push started everything. Did that frighten that you, that push? It, it was un it was a little uncomfortable, but I just you gotta remember I wanted it at the same time, but I didn't know that that was part of it. But yeah. it was like it was easy. It's easy for me to go on air and talk about how great a rap record is. It's easy for me to go on air and talk about an amazing show that took place a couple of weeks ago. I don't right. waffle. I'm not doing gossip. I'm not being yeah. a shock jock. Like I'm talking about the music that I love. It's, it's very very easy. Like if you're passionate about something. So with Ray, he gave me the encouragement. He gave me the push. He gave me the training. And 
and and then yeah, and then that was it. That that basically set me off from professional radio forever. Forever appreciating to this day as well for doing that. Like in life, you get there's a handful of people that help you throughout your journey in life. He's one of them. He's the one who turned me into a broadcaster, not just a DJ or not just a pirate DJ or anything like that. I became a full fledged broadcaster on the back of him. He completely changed everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Going from minor to major, going to one extra, how was that transition from pirate radio to joining one extra? During, you know, what was a time where the BBC realized it needed to cater for what people wanted specifically? Mm. Let's get straight to the point, contemporary black music, which wasn't being played on BBC radio. Yeah, 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 how did yeah. you think about expanding your philosophy as a radio DJ? I, I didn't look at it like that. What what I did know is that one extra wanted the feel of a pirate station. So the DJs that were on that station was rough around the edges. And you got to remember the DJs that were on Radio 1 at that time who were playing hip-hop and R&B, they didn't like it. They really didn't like it that all of a sudden there was an influx of 10 to 20 DJs like doing black music. They, they really didn't. They didn't embrace us. They didn't... Um, want to see the station when it, it there's definitely that like and 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 it's a fact you know and it goes back to what i went through in manchester in terms of nobody wants to see you excel nobody wants to put you on and so forth so you know i was used to that i really didn't care about that with regards to one extra their remit was to have the feel of a pirate station where it was just like rough around the edges and everything else. And they gave us carte blanche to do what we wanted as individual DJs in terms of repping the music that we repped and play and everything else. And it for me, it was just like, do great radio. I didn't look at it as this is a cultural shift for the BBC. I didn't care. For me, it was like, I need to, I need, again, like from when I came through from Manchester, reputation, and relationships, I need to do radio excellence. I need to be the best that I can be. I need to play the best music. I need to be ahead of the curve. I need to have the best artists on my show. I need to let people know about what's going on. And that was it. That 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 was easy. That I do it to this day. It's 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 in my DNA. I don't know any different. The trade-off was we were the, the hook to get people into this new thing called DAB. Like that, that was that was like basically the, the, the marketing exercise of, of what One Extra was and other stations like it. I didn't care. Like I, you know, because for me, it's like it's on the internet, which is a great place to be on because it was developing at that time and there wasn't a lot of distractions like there is today. With the DAB thing, if you've got a new car, you've got one. And if you're a kid who wants to be tapped in, you kind of had one anyway. But but I didn't see any barriers. I didn't see it as a negative. I didn't see it. I just I just saw it as moving forward and, and developing. That's how I saw it. Absolutely. It happened when it was supposed to. Yeah, de definitely. And and it's only actually talking about it now. Like, yeah, it was definitely a revolutionary shift within radio. And, you know, when you look back at it, but right now, today, no one cares. Like the DAB is just a thing. Everyone's got it. 
in the same way that this this fear of well not fear this <laughs> this this um of AI and how it's going to take over everything in ten years time we'll be living with it and using it and it'll just be like day to day stuff you know so it's it's kind of like you can never be fearful of technology or you can never be standoff right. just embrace it and get involved with it straight away. The Suntex, we live? No, we're not live. Yo, we're right? live. We're live right now, Joey. We're live. Oh, we live? We're live. We're live. We're live in the UK. My man, Joey Badass, got Kirk Knight. The What's Honorable good? Static Selector in the building. What up, what up? Top shot, top Top shot, top shot, top kill Old lightning rod. Now, you, you guys have just got off the plane. It's like, yeah. that, that's crazy. And I appreciate Literally. you. Literally just coming straight from the airport. Just coming to one extra tower. Yeah, so it's man. like in the presence of greatness right now. Yeah, man, you already know we already had to come know, through, man. touchdown, show the big homie Semtex some love, <laughs> man. So, I mean, I, we, we got a lot to talk about. I got a lot of beats. The Serato's fully loaded. What, what should we do? What, should I just play some beats? Should we get into this? I mean, yeah, why not? Okay, let's keep it moving. Semtex, one extra. Is there off the top of your head a favorite one extra moment that encapsulates that bond you were talking about, that spirit you were talking about, and that energy of being one of the biggest DJs at that time during peak listenership? Um, there's a few. There's quite a few. I'd say one of the best ones has to be when we did the show live from Puerto Rico for this event. Not yeah, Puerto Rico for the mix show power summit. Um there was, there was just a load of artists that was at this event. It is it, is an event for DJs. America are very good at doing exhibitions and events and meetups for, you know, different career paths, whether it could be engineering or whatever. They they love a get together, um, and a chance to bring people together, have sponsor, corporate sponsorship, and get everybody in a room and promote new things and everything else. Now this this event, the Mix Show Power Summit, is where labels were send artists to meet DJs from the US and everything else. And we we were the only entity there from the U UK. So it was just amazing to meet all these different artists. And you know, there was Rizzo was there, Rockin was there, 50 Cent, Kanye West. Wow. Incredible. And I didn't I could like, you know, my mentor Ray Paul was shocked at how he spoke to each one knowledgeably one after the other like no no waffle no flim flam i knew all of their albums all their singles i knew all the key points and what to talk about what not to talk about and um it was a true test of everything i'd ever done to that point that those were amazing like anytime we did an overseas live broadcast incredible like one time we did the show from houston i was djing there in houston alongside bun b incredible another time we did the show in l.a um, I did my show live from New York one time. <clears throat> the same thing, and it, it, and it, it, you know, the artists respected me. All of these US artists, they 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 gave me the time. They were gracious enough to like join me on the show out, out you know, the land stuff, what they're doing in their schedule and everything. So those those kind of moments, those kind of live events, were incredible. Like it's just um, they are once in a lifetime moments because. You know, I always say to people, you've got to take advantage of what's going on at at that time, at that moment in time, because things change. Everything moves on, you know, in, in the same way that One Extra was this newfangled station with a lot of investment. It's different now. Now it's a very, very different proposition. Like, um, 
not just one extra, but radio in a whole. You know, nobody ever thought that radio would be competing with something like a TikTok or Netflix or PS5 or whatever goes on in the evenings. It's like the, the fight for the attention of the potential listener. It's, it, it, it just increases by the day. What does content strategy mean to you in 2024? Content strategy for me is deliver the best experience possible in what you do. And whether that's through a radio show, whether that's through a podcast, whether that's through um, making music, whether that's through doing video content, it's, it's that. That's, that's what it is in this day and age. It's, it's the same as it ever was. Like, it's just, again, taking it back to 94 when I was in Manchester, 95 when I was coming up, it's, I was doing the same thing then, paying attention to detail and trying to provide the best experience within my means. So now it's like, it's a very, the playing field is so much wider. You know, before it was just DJs competing. Now it's everyone. Now you're competing with influencers, um, fans. You're convinced you're competing with artists. You're competing with everybody for the attention of a listener or a follower or a fan or the audience, whatever you want to call it. And it's, it's you have to work really, really hard to, to maintain and sustain what you do. And I think for me, rather than try to do everything, rather than try to um be on a land grab or rather than try to just stream for the sake of it. I just focus on what I'm what I'm immediately in love with, which is like first of all radio. I took a break from podcasting. Um I kind of got bored of it during the lockdown. I think I think the lockdown burnt me out because of doing the Zoom thing and it wasn't it was just I didn't like the the lack of interpersonal connection because I, I feed off body language, I feed off interaction, I feed off the moment and building the momentum for a conversation. I found it difficult to do that in Zoom. I know some people do it very, very well, but for me, it was just like, it, it, it just wasn't the same. So I think I, I, I did a lot. I was doing radio just before the lockdown. I was doing radio and I was doing podcasts and everything else. And I just think, I just think I I just I think I just needed a break from that for a minute. So I'm gonna get back into it. I've got an idea for something that I'm gonna do that I wanna start this nice. year. Um but it's gotta be more concentrated and it's gotta be right because you know I'm fully aware there's there's a there's a massive slew of things fighting for people's attention. Yeah. And I don't I don't wanna be in that race. I wanna do something different where it's not. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, on your own terms. Yeah, I gave someone... Without the background noise. Yeah, 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 yeah. I gave someone an incredible idea the other day. Um, I might have to use it myself. So <laughs> I was like... Because I was like... Because like, someone came up to me and, you know, like one of the... Well, not one of the interns, someone who I work with, and they were like, um, look, I want to... I want to... I want to... I wanna, I want to get into, I want to be a talk, I want to be Oprah. That's, that's what she said. And I want to be a talk show host. And I said, well, the path to doing this is to do this, do this, do that, and do that. Right. And she was like, oh my God, that is incredible. Like, oh my God. And 
yeah, it's a great idea. So I don't know, like, I might do my own version of it. But it's either way, I, I can always do that. I think what's more important to me right now rather than flying back into doing the podcasting thing is producing music. Like, I've got this track. I've been making beats for the last three, four years, and I've got, I put out some stuff, some releases, and, and it's been more building my confidence to one be taken seriously as a producer and two just to, to get good at being a producer because what i didn't want to do is just get a beat from a lot of great producers were like just take these beats and put your name on it i'm not doing that i'd rather struggle and and get it right because you know i wrote a book called hip hop raised me and That's i wrote right. fifty thousand words I, there was there was no ghost writer there was no ghost you know, person changing my words or throwing sentences in, it's, it's all my words. And seeing the book and how well it's done and how it's been received around the world, it's like, it's it's the best feeling ever. It's the best, I've done something right in life kind of thing. It's like, I've written one of the best books in hip hop, which is in the living room of Chuck D. It was in the living room of Big Sean. If you watch an episode of Architectural Digest, you see it on the shelf. Um, people show it. There's a guy called New Face, a very dope journalist in America. Whenever he does an interview with someone, he shows them the book. He showed it to Baby from Cash Money recently. He was totally shocked by it. Same thing with Big Daddy Kane. So to be able to make something, you know, which is which is like it's art basically. To be able to make art that is appreciated by the people that you're doing the art based on, you know, is is it lives forever. I when I did that book, I wanted. I wanted it to be like Subway Art. I wanted it to be a book which just stood the test of time. And and I think we've done it. I think we've been able to do that. And I want to do that in music. I, w- I want to have big hit records, but um I'm gonna have I'm gonna have produced them myself. So I've got a I've got a track at the moment which is it's it's just insane. It's an insane festival It's called Ted Rufa. So I'm really excited. I'm more excited about doing music than I am doing podcasts I think maybe I might need another year off and just go hard with the music first before I get back into it but Very dope. It, but 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 this is the thing as a DJ it's, it's just amazing to be able to you know do these things like yeah you can do a radio show do a podcast write a book make music interview you see what I'm saying is I'm, I'm very very fortunate I've never taken it for granted and and the same disciplines that I had getting into the game I've still got it with everything I'm doing right now What was the first interview you did that broke the radio? Um, wow. Um, <laughs> um, there's been a few, and and I think I think I think they got bigger over time. You know, um, whenever I interviewed Kanye, it always travelled. You know, it always it went across the blogs and everything, and it was always the talk of the town. Um, when I interviewed Lil Wayne, the first interview, and these are all on YouTube, and, you know, I said to him, you know, how do you feel about people who are concerned about you partying too hard? And 
And that was a, a way of me saying, you know, you're doing a lot of drugs. And the way he answered, the way he drank his drink after it, it was like, it was jaw dropping. It was like, oh shit. It was like, you know, and, and that didn't really translate in radio, but when you see it on the video, it's like, oh shit. To catch it on camera, I right. mean, that really, really traveled. And then I got an opportunity to interview him again. Um, no, 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 no. In the same interview, the first interview, I said something about Eminem and he kind of said something that along the lines of he didn't give a shit about other rappers. I, I can't even remember. I'd have to go back and watch it. But but anything mentioning Eminem at the time, newsworthy, travelled. And um, so when I did the second interview with him in Amsterdam, um, he was cool, mad cool. And we, we talked about the Eminem thing. And he was like, no, 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 listen, listen. Like, we, I want to work with him. Like, that, that got taken out of context. What I said was da 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 and then shortly after, him and Eminem do two tracks together. So I'm not I'm not saying it was down to me, like or anything like that, but it was definitely a catalyst in, you know, that relationship happening because that news went everywhere all over the internet. And you know, and I'd say the most recent times, the last thing that really broke the radio and broke the internet was the Drake interview. And it was the more life interview, which which was like, you know, like five years ago and it was significant because with Drake I did the first interview with him when no one cared who he was no one knew what was coming like I was the only DJ that was playing his mixtape tracks before he did the deal I was playing them on my show so I knew about all of the tracks so I could talk to him about that and I think as an artist when when someone reaches out and and you get your team are saying, yeah, this English DJ wants to play your music, wants to interview you, he's been playing your music, and da 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 I think, I think that's kind of special. Like, even for me making music now, if a DJ from Canada or somewhere was like, yeah, we want to interview you, I've been following you, you're going to do the interview, right? So, um, he was supposed to come into the station on the Friday, but he was working with Viana, so it didn't happen. So, what was... You know, I said to my producer, so look, there's this guy, I think he's gonna be big, he's in town, it's called Jason, da, 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 da. do you wanna to come to the we'll do the interview? And and he was like, Nah, just look at you, Sam. Always, you know, always giving these new artists a chance and da da da. You know, like it's like, yeah, I'm gonna do it anyway. So I did it, it was just me and a camera guy. And um it was a nice day, so we did it in Hyde Park. And it's actually fascinating watching that interview now because there's no way you could walk in Hyde Park to this day. It was, it, it just couldn't happen. So we're walking along through Hyde Park and I'm asking him about, you know, do you need to sign a deal? Like you could do it independently. And like, we, it was a great, great, great conversation. Um, it's legendary. And that, and that traveled, that, 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 that was a radio, radio interview that went everywhere. And as well as the YouTube, it, YouTube was popping at the time. So the, the video went everywhere. So seven years later, Seven years later, about six in the morning, I go, I go, I go to the toilet, and I'm sat on the toilet, and I'm looking through my phone, and I see a DM from Drake. I was like, "What?" The? I, I was, I, I, I could, I thought someone, I thought someone was taking the piss. I really thought one of my friends was winding me up or something, and he read something like, um, 
I'm going to be in the UK soon. I appreciate the interview that we did. I feel like I get a hard time doing interviews in America. It would be great to do one with you. And da, 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 da. So, of course. Yep. Da, 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 da. So, we, we connect and meet him backstage at the show. He says the same thing and everything else. It's all locked in. It's all organized. Um, it's great. Now, around this time, radio was getting a bit political. So, because Drake's huge now, I just did the interview. I didn't let anyone else know that it was, it, it's almost like you, you've just got to do it and then get it. So no one interferes. So there's no chance of labels interfering or, or, the, or the heads of radio interfering or whatever. Like, sure. you know, Radio 1 wanted him and, you know what I mean? It was like, it was all of that. So if they'd have got wind that Sam's doing an interview, oh, no, no, we've got to divide the pattern and all this crap. So anyway, but the point right. was, Drake reached out to me. It was nothing to do with a plugger or a label or anything like that. So we do the interview and it's amazing. We talk on everything. Everything gets discussed. Everything, right? And I talk to him about the beef. I talk to him about race relations. He talks to me about the history and development of UK rap. Like he knows more about UK rap than most people in the UK. And then um, we filmed it as well. It, was, it looks like a proper documentary. I, I spent four grand on proper cameramen. It's like a free camera shoot. So, wow. so, so we're there. We've recorded it. It's amazing. So I do the rough cut of the audio and I send it to him, right? And then, and then I sent it to him and then he was like, I said to his manager, like, oh yeah, you cool with the edit of the audio? He's like, yeah, we're going to drop it tonight. I was like, what? He said, yeah, 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 we're going to drop it tonight. I was like, what do you mean? No, we're going to drop it on the OVO show. I was like, fuck. Like, because, because. I'm in breach of contract. Like, I'm on one extra, but they're going to run a Drake interview on Apple's new station, which is the new technology, which is rivaling one extra's move into DAB. Now you've got Apple, you've got Beats One that's, you know, on Apple Music and iTunes and all of that. And he's got a show on there. So I'm like, shit. Part of me is like, I'm going to get in trouble. But then part of me is like, I'm going worldwide. (laughs) 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 And and, and, uh, yeah, so so I'd let the station know, like, oh, I said, oh, yeah, he's going to run it. Like, I didn't know they were going to do that. I didn't, you know, uh, so so they're huffing and puffing. But anyway, the interview goes out on, on the OVO show on Beats One. Whole world was locked in. I've never had that many DMs in my life. And and because of what he was saying in the interview, it just traveled everywhere. It was in the newspapers. If you do a Google search to this day, if you type in Drake, DJ Semtex, it all comes up. Like it, it just went everywhere. It's it's probably one of the biggest interviews I've done. And, I remember. I remember. Yeah, and, and then and then the day after, I was like, All right, I'm gonna release the video now. And they were like, Now nah, we don't want it out there. I was like, What do you mean? And they were like, Well, yeah, I think basically it it done enough like he got the message out about how he felt and they just didn't want anything else out there i think drake wanted it out there but his team were like yeah let's control this now because he said a lot of things about artists he said a lot of things there's even to this day there's things in that interview that nobody picked up on um because he said so much it was like um 
So, so, so the video would have really took me to that next level. So now it's just in my safe for like whenever you know down the line or something. Um, but it didn't matter. Like that interview just travelled. You know, and then on the following Monday, I got hauled in to see the main controller of Radio One, a guy called Ben Cooper, and he was like. Oh, you know what you need to do, Sam, to get your own back into it. You need to give us the video. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not. You know what I mean? It was it was just like radio yeah. politics trying to kick in, but it was too it's too late. Like it was everywhere. It went it went viral. It was like it popped off. And no one's ever done an interview with him like that since. It's like that that and that that that's for me, even for me now. How do I compete with that? It's a benchmark how, right there. Yeah. How how do you get Who's the biggest artist in the world right now? Drake, Weekends, and that's it. Like, and, and you know, and that's, Weekends is different, but I'm saying in rap, like, it's, it's still Drake. He's still the biggest, you know, in terms of numbers and everything else and all of that. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Jay-Z, a massive fan of Kanye. I'm a fan of all the great ones, but what is going to get you that kind of blanket coverage? And it's, it's unless you get... And now with Kanye right now, there's nothing that will rival that moment. First person shooter mode, we turning your son to a funeral. To them niggas that say they don't office, you better be talking about working in cubicles. Yeah, them boys had a lot, but I knew the code. A lot of niggas debating my numero. Not the three, not the two, I'm the UNO. Yeah. Numero UNO, me and Drizzy, this shit like the Super Bowl. Man, this shit done it big as the... great interviewee who's got a lot to say it just comes out all you're doing is holding up the mirror whereas most artists don't have the history or things to say like a Kanye or like a Drake or and, and so on it's just there's only there's only there's only a handful of artists where you can get that so it's pointless trying to capture that moment and it's pointless trying to apply what you did with that one to that one. I think every interview is different. I did an interview with JPEG Mafia in the lockdown via Zoom and, and it was dope. Really, really good. You know, the, the, the interview still gets views on YouTube to this day. Um, and, you know, it's very different, you know, but he's a different caliber of artist, so it's, it's, it's not going to do the same. I did an interview with Pop Smoke um, a week before he died, and I think it was the last interview that he did, unfortunately. And and that 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 was amazing because with that interview, and not obviously not because he passed away, it was amazing because you could see it in the video. He was just he he, he had the he had his whole life in front of him. Like he he loved what he was doing. He loved UK music. He was he was telling me about UK artists he just discovered. It was, it was a really good, amazing interview. And his life got taken the week after. It's, it's, that's kind of upset. That, that is upsetting. And it's kind of, it hits home that you really have to make the most out of life because one minute I'm putting on his first ever show in the UK and I'm on stage with him. Then we're in a hotel room doing a, a very, very dope interview overlooking Hyde Park, ironically. And then a week later, you just see the headlines. Yeah, he was shot dead. Home in, home invasion is is heart wrenching, you know. Mm. So it's kind of 
what's beautiful is that his team thought it was good enough that it should be in, you know, shows and documentaries about him and everything. And, and I just gave him the footage. I was like, of course, there you go. Like, da, 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 da. And I'm just, I'm just glad I was able to play a bit of a part in his journey. But it's, um, every interview is different. That's what I'm trying to say. Every, every approach is different. Every, it's about the artist. It's not about me. It's not about my technique. It's not about, all, all I do is just feed off what they say. And and that that determines um what 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 it is. It's not I don't I don't go for the headlines, I don't try to trip people up, I don't clout chase and um I don't do the clickbait thing. It's just a great organic conversation. And if some of it if one of them stands out more than the other, it is what it is. But I can stand by everything that I've done and um, be confident that I've never messed anyone about. I've never done a bit of disservice. I've never ruined anyone's career. I've never put anybody in an awkward position. It's just like everything I've done has been very, very positive. So, um, it's just I'm very, very fortunate to have been able to get to this point of even doing these things. You know. How did you end up at Sony and becoming director of artist development? How does that come about? So, so basically, I started out doing street teams when I moved from Manchester first. Um, you know, it was grassroots street promotion. I was always in the clubs. I was always up and down the country. I knew every DJ up and down the country. I knew every club. I knew what was going on, where the hotspots were, where my team did. And then from there, I moved into radio promotion and club promotion. Um, then um I, I get I get I, I get asked to go to Universal and be a part of setting up the Death Jam UK situation. Of course that I did it. Um it was a reality check because I was learning more about how record companies work and you know the politics of it and this 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 that and you have a cut a long story short. Um, I moved into A&R, even though I never wanted to do A&R, but I just got sick of A&R guys coming around my desk and saying, oh, I just want to pick your brain and da 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 And you're giving them blueprints and plans for what to do with an artist or whatever. So it got to a point where I was like, I might as well do it myself. So then I started doing A&R. Um, first thing I signed was Batman Scooby Faithful. is still to this day one of the biggest club records. Huge. Um, and then from there, the Death Jam thing folded very, very quickly because it wasn't backed by the US. Like it, it just, it was just a bit disingenuous. The whole startup situation. I can't be too negative about it because it gave me a start and an invaluable learning experience. But it was definitely um, something that we weren't ready for as a country, as a record company, and as staff coming through. It's just I didn't I didn't see the politics behind everything and how it all works and so forth and you know Death Jam changed in America so that affected what was going on. So then I just moved over to the Mercury side of things and to survive as an A and R I couldn't just do black music I couldn't just do rap music. So 
I started doing different styles of music. So um, I signed an artist called Mr. Hudson, singer-songwriter. Um, I just reminded me of Stink, someone that I heard when I grew up, and, and I rated him. And from there, it was like, it was an incredible journey and adventure. Um, from there, I signed Chase and Status. I, I had no bearing on drum and bass, but they were the hottest thing. And, you know, I managed to convince them to sign with us and sign with myself. And it was one of the most successful projects I've been involved with. Um, then I signed Mavic Sabre. I signed Iggy Azalea. Um, Lizzo's first album when it's just straight up rap. And it's really fascinating because the only station that would play her was Sick Music. Like, one extra wasn't interested. None of the black stations was interested. And here you got a black woman who's rapping, and she, it, it wasn't what it is now. It, it was just, like, hard rap. Like, but it, no one was interested in it. Like, you Crazy. know, for all of this, what happened post-George Floyd and BLM and all of that, no one gave a shit about Lizzo on her first album. But it's just how it is. So, and I'm just glad she came through regardless. And you know, she got to where she got to. Um, I signed Vic Mensa's first single, Down On My Look. I signed the band's first track, Oliver Twist. That was the first Afrobeat single to be released in the UK. So, commercially released. So, so it was kind of like, it was a really great journey as a record company exec, like dipping in and out of different styles of music and having charts success and selling albums. And it's, it's, it's grown me in another way, you know, as a DJ and as an exec. So what happened was from there, um, I got asked to join Sony. And this is, this is like 2015. Um, Jason Ali, who was the president of Mercury Records at the time, he left, went to America, came back, and then he was chairman of Sony. And he was like, look, you know, I wanted to come over, da, da 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 And I was like, cool. And he was like, what what do you want for your title? So I just said, like, look, if you're going to need me to work across all of the labels, there's no point in me being based in one label and you're going to need help in other labels and everything else. So there's no point in me being tied down to a label. So then I said, if I have an A&R title, it's going to upset people. People, you know what I mean? It's like A&Rs don't like A&Rs. And I already explained what it was like in Manchester when other DJs like feel a certain way. So I was like, let me let me pick a title that encapsulates everything that isn't going to alienate anyone or make anyone feel uncomfortable. So I said, how about director of artist development? He was like, cool. And that was it. It was it was that. And, and it means, it means, it covers everything. So when I first started at Sony, there's three artists that I brought in. I brought in Gecko, Dino, and Jay Huss. And it, I took it to one label, they didn't understand Jay Huss. I took it to another label, they didn't understand that. I took it to Blackboard, they got it. And, and it's been an amazing experience and an incredible journey all the way. We released three albums, had a lot of success, and we stood by him through everything. So it's, it's kind of like, it's, you know, in the same way, I still work with American artists. If if the US call me and they're like, we need help and what do you think we can do with this and da 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 da, or what should we do for this remix or where should we start this record? And I, across the board, like, so that's what I'm saying. I'm, I've got no interest in being 
president of artist development. I'm I'm not trying to climb up the corporate ladder like that. I'm I just I want to work within music and I want to work within hip hop, but I'm not. It's not about the title. It's about the music first and foremost. And first and foremost, you know, look, you've never seen me publicly be like, hey, I'm the director of artist development. DJ centric. First and foremost, I'm a DJ, and that that is what I do. That's my calling, and that's what everything comes under. I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people saw you with me where you were.